Hello and welcome to PwC IFRS Talks, your source of all things IFRS, technical accounting matters, business issues, current standard setting and regulatory updates. I'm your host, Ruth Greedy. In today's episode, we're welcoming back Ian Selfridge to talk about updates on IS36 impairment of non-financial assets. That's a big old title. It is. I'll have to cut it down, I think, when we put it online. But welcome back, Ian. Yeah, impairment of stuff. How about that? <laughs> it's stuff that's not the financially not financial, type. Right, yeah. <laughs> okay, so we've had a couple of podcasts already on IS36. We have one talking about um, some of the things that go wrong in cash flows. And then Dave joined us to talk about the basics of how the actual model works. And I think what we're going to focus on today is what's going on in the world. Like, is anything changing? Right. So it's the exciting stuff. What's going on at the board? So why the board is discussing IS36, why has that come up? Well, so this has already come out of the um, post-implementation review of IFRS 3, which is the business combination standard. And obviously, one of the things that business combinations typically generate is goodwill, which is one of the assets on the balance sheet that IS36 worries about in terms of whether you can recover your value and whether they're impaired or not. So on the back of the findings from that post-implementation review, the ISB have kicked off a research project to look at whether they should be investigating and changing the way that we impair non-financial assets. Perfect. So they didn't actually go out to look at IS36, it just came out of another project. It, it is, and, and it, a lot of it came out of the, a lot of the feedback from investors on IFRS 3 was, you know, companies make business combinations, that's very good and we can see the numbers, but we don't get enough information to help us understand why they made the acquisition, and then also how's it going after we bought it. Yeah, and why if they overpay, they get to book an asset. I shouldn't say that. That's my own personal view. <laughs> yes, the cynics among us might say that goodwill is just the future impairment that you overpay for on day one. But to be fair, and to be you know, to the standard, clearly goodwill is supposed to be the unidentifiable stuff that has the inherent value in the business that you buy. So it is. It's a funny debit that sits on the balance sheet. And that's why I-36 exists to say, well, it's there, it's a bit funny, so that means we want you to test it every year. Yeah. Um, and so there's two things that they've been looking at. One is the disclosures that come out of the business combinations and the fact that you've got goodwill and um, is it why did you create it in the first place and have you still got value for it? But then the second is in the mechanics of, well, now that we have to test goodwill and other intangibles, how do you go about doing that? And they've been looking at whether they can improve that in any way. Okay, so maybe just talk through some of that. What are sort of some of the high-level models they're considering? Right, so so as a very brief reminder, IS36 has a, a higher-of test. You look at two numbers to see if you've got a problem. Um, so you first of all, you, you identify the assets you're going to test. Typically, they're in a cash-generating unit, collection of assets. And so you've got a carrying value that's on your balance sheet, and you compare that against the fair value of the, that CGU, what you would get for it by selling it in the market or its value in use, which are the cash flows that you would generate by using it in the business. So I-36 has this higher of test, fair value and value in use. Value in use is, gets a bit complicated in terms of actually trying to calculate it. It's a cash flow forecast, but the standard tells you that it's um, a pre-tax cash flow forecast. So you put all your pre-tax cash flows in, you work out a net present value and you have your answer. The problem is that in the real world, it's very difficult to find a pre-tax discount rate or bringing all your cash flows back to net present value. So what in practice everybody does is they do a post-tax cash flow analysis, and then they have to make an adjustment to work out what the theoretical pre-tax information would be to get you the same answer. And one of the things they've been looking at is how do we simplify that value and use process that management has to go through. So one suggestion that they're looking at is saying, well, maybe we can make it easier for you by allowing you to use post-tax information, because we know everybody's doing that. 
And so it's a bit of a practical, pragmatic application. Uh, the other side of it is around um, what cash flows you can include in a value in use. So value in use, by its description, is how are we using the assets at the moment? Uh, what are the management's current usage for the assets? But sometimes, particularly when you've got assets that might be impaired, part of the reason is because you're not using them optimally. And you could improve the cash flows by changing the way that you run that part of your business. And that's all about future enhancement um, of, of the, the assets you've got and the business model you have. Value and use at the moment is very strict. And says you can't do that. If you haven't actually made the changes, you can't include these future possible cash flows. That's a bit different to the fair value world where a market participant might say, I look at your machinery. You know what? If you tweaked it, if you added a few bits and pieces in, you could double your cash flows. And so because of that, when I offer you a price to buy that part of your business, I would incorporate some of that future upside in what I'm prepared to pay for you. Yeah. So oh, I'm yeah. just going to talk over you. So just as a summary, then, so two almost like simplifications of the yes. VIU model they're thinking of, which I think is brilliant, getting rid of this concept of pre-tax, because yes. I don't know about you, Ian, but I feel like I spend a lot of time discussing that and it's not not the most helpful it's discussion. Helpful, no. um, and then the other point is this future enhancements. The other really valid point you raise is at the moment we have these two models. Yes. We have VIU or fair value. One of the, well, two of the biggest differences were the two you mm -hmm. discussed. Mm -hmm. If they get rid of those, are we almost moving to a one model approach? Uh, well, as far as we know at the moment, they're still talking about keeping the two uh, markers, fair value and value news. You're right. If both of these suggestions actually make it to the paper and, and become um, part of the value news, value news will be a lot closer to fair value. It might still be different, but I'm thinking about, so when they're talking about allowing future enhancements into your cash flows, when they're talking about enhancements that it's reasonably probable that management will put in place. And I think that still comes back to how management think they want to run the business. Whereas fair value is all about what the market participant would do. So, of course, management might have a different view to what everyone else might do. And so maybe there'll be a slight difference in that. It will be interesting to see if they do push this through as to whether they'll sit down and analyse how far off fair value will be. But at the moment, it looks like they're still wedded to a value and use model and a fair value model with a higher off test. Yeah, because obviously the US model is just, just the fair yes, value. Right. So I wondered yes. if we were maybe thinking about that. I, as, well. as far as I can tell, uh, convergence is not on the table. Yeah. You know, it's more of trying to improve what we've got. Yeah. There'll obviously be a bit of an eye to that, I suspect, when they finally bring some paperwork out for discussion papers and exposure yeah. drafts and so on, there'll be a conversation around, should they change away from that? But at the moment, it looks like they're just looking at how they might improve the value and use model. And so... Um, I actually think they're brilliant suggestions, yeah. so I'm hoping both of those go yeah. through. Um, are there any other simplifications they're considering? Well, so the other thing is, is, is the big picture, the elephant in the room, which is goodwill is a number that sits on the balance sheet and does not go down unless you impair it. Yeah. Right. So we don't have an amortisation or depreciation model for goodwill. It just sits there. And the board have been, or this, with the staff, have said, should we look at that again? Because part of, I think, the feedback coming out of the post-implementation review of business combinations and goodwill is, this goodwill, the big problem is that it eventually gets written down under an impairment, but perhaps more than one or two accounting periods after everyone else thought it was impaired in the first place. It's a bit late in recognising it. So an obvious way of doing that is trying to improve the impairment test model, which we just talked about. The other way is to say, actually, maybe the objective should be just to get rid of goodwill over a period of time. So I amortise it over some kind of useful life or play with the model a bit to make it harder to pass so that you hit impairments more, more frequently. So first one, trying to amortise it over a useful life has some challenges. What's the useful life of this funny asset in a business that you would hope would carry on forever? 
20 years, uh, 20 years. well, well that's right. and, and if you've come up, you know, various <laughs> regulators around the world with, as a, a standard setters yeah. have wrestled with this over the last 30 plus years and some com- some standard setters have had um, amortization models others like the isb have gone for indefinite life and it's very difficult to come up with anything that isn't arbitrary in terms of some kind of useful life so that's a bit difficult the other thing they've been looking at is um trying to make the test a bit harder yeah, so one it's of, always a good thing. It's always a good thing. So, so one of the um, the challenges and the concerns about the impairment model is that you buy a business and you acquire this new goodwill, this funny looking asset you put on your balance sheet, but you've got an existing business that you've grown up over time. It's got inherent value that's not recognised on your balance sheet. You know, effectively um, internally generated yeah. goodwill. And the issue you have is the way the standard is written is that you don't test your goodwill balance that you just bought in isolation necessarily. You are allowed to combine that with other parts of your business if that's how management monitors it. And so there's a shield for this unrecognized goodwill. You've got cash flows that would support that, but they're not needing to support it because there's nothing on the balance sheet. So you've got all of your additional cash flows that you've already got at the moment that can help support this new goodwill. And and, investors and, and, and stakeholders don't like that. So the, so the staff have been looking at, well, how do we bring in this unrecognized goodwill as part of our test? So someone described this to me as a, a weird headroom approach. I like someone. That was me. <laughs> I was I like, can fine. you describe this weird headroom? <laughs> so, so, so what the staff have said, well, actually, if we think and look at it as a big picture, perhaps what you should do is, is, is recognize in the testing the fact that you've got this unrecognized shield. So they were proposing um, a model that said on day one, you would measure all of your cash flows and all of your assets on the balance sheet and compare the two. And you'd come up with a headroom number that might well be almost entirely as a result of this unrecognized asset, which is good. But you'd set that as a benchmark. You've now got what they they call a total headroom amount. Um, And then next year, when you do your test, you do exactly the same thing. You work out the new total headroom. And they were suggesting that, well, if the new total headroom has gone down compared to last year, something's not right. And because something's not right, maybe we then should be looking at impairing it. And um, so from that perspective, what you would do is you would say, even if the acquired business doesn't look like it's the bit that's lost money, we would have a principle that said that reduction in total headroom gets written off the asset we recognize. Uh, really coming back to how do we get rid of our asset quicker? Yeah. Um, so they put that out as a model to talk about. It's very different to what we do at the moment. Yeah. Um, I think intellectually, it's a bit challenging in terms of conceptually how the standards written at the moment practically it might be a bit challenging in terms of how you do it and measure it the general feedback is like all these things mixed some people like it usually not the ones who are doing the preparing the <laughs> so, so it, 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 it seems to have been taken off the table yeah. having had some good airing in discussion okay so amortization still potentially on the table and we yeah, should well, say they're, they're all tentative they're all these are all tentative yeah. i think the board is minded not to go for amortization and they're minded yeah. to stay with the impairment model which is why they're spending a bit more time looking at how they might improve the value and use um, methodology and so on. And one other thing I think they're considering is how they can improve disclosures. What sort of yes. things are they looking at there? So, so the two things on that are um, complaints, particularly from investors, are companies don't give enough disclosure in the first place. In the year that they buy a business, they don't very clearly explain the business objectives around why are we buying this business and why are we paying the money that we are particularly when you identify goodwill. So that's where you're saying, I've bought a business and they don't have stuff I can put on the balance sheet. I've paid a a premium or a difference. And so they're looking for much better disclosures around why that would happen. And then going forward, there's not enough disclosure at the moment around, so that acquisition I bought last year or three years ago, how's it doing? Have I actually met these business objectives I had in the first place? And is it performing well? 
my synergies work out? Exactly. Did my synergies work out? Am I being able to get my cost savings on that kind of stuff? The, 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 the feedback that they were getting from investors particularly was, we kind of don't know why you bought it in the first place. And we have absolutely no idea how it's performing going forward. All we see is an impairment some years down the line with no real explanation as to why that suddenly popped out. So they're looking at improving the disclosures in both of those areas. Okay. <laughs> so I think as a summary, the three sort of thing is looking at the VIU model, yes. hopefully making it a bit easier to follow, looking at potentially bigger picture, should we be looking at how to get goodwill yes. off the balance sheet a bit quicker? And then the third point is where they'll enrich the disclosures as well. So investors understand more around what's going on. Um, so lots of things going on. Like you said, nothing's firm, nothing's final, no. it's decision. What what happens next? Well, so, so the staff have been researching and they've been putting papers into the board meetings. The, the, the due process usually means that at some point we'll get um, a discussion paper probably before we get to an exposure draft, which is that this is what we think standard would look like. Um, my sense is that the disclosure stuff um, and the improvements to the value and use model both feel like in the in the context of the ISB quick wins. Yeah. Quick is a nebulous word in there, you know, for the ISB environment. But things that everyone seems that they should look good to do. The more knotty one is whether we get into the amortization big or picture. the big picture stuff. So, but process wise, they need to issue probably a disclosure, a disclosure discussion paper, then an exposure draft. So that's three years away from becoming an accounting standard, I would think, yeah. and maybe another year on top of that before it's being effective. So that's quick in ISB speak, but not in everyone else's. No, in Prepare as well. They're like, oh, exactly. I'll listen to this podcast again in four years. Exactly. Right. <laughs> but yeah, so very useful though, because I think it's always, I think, you know, when you're into, uh, you know, day-to-day -day life, yes. you don't always keep on top of what's going no, on at the right. ISB. And this yeah. could be big, some yeah. big fundamental changes to the impairment model. So thank you very much for coming in today and sharing with us what's going on. We'll keep listeners updated. So if they do at some point need to write into an exposure draft, we'll let them know. Um, and please come back soon to tell us more. Thanks, Ian. Thank you. Thanks, everyone, for listening. I've been your host, Ruth Pretty. Happy accounting. The preceding program was brought to you by PricewaterhouseCoopers LLP. This content is for general information purposes and is not a substitute for consultation with professional advisors.